Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Firm Returns Weekly. Uh, this week, we're going to have a look. Let me share my screen. This week, we're going to have a look at some news from Aviva and Tiny Build. So let's start with Aviva, which released their interim results for the first half of 2023. And I've uh, put together some highlights here. So at the group at the group level, we heard that operating profit was up eight percent to seven hundred fifteen million pounds, compared to six hundred sixty-one million in twenty twenty-two. And on a per share basis, this rises to ten percent due to the share buybacks. So this is, uh, and on a per share basis, it's nineteen point nine pence versus eighteen point one pence. So a very positive improvement there. Uh, cash remittances, uh, which just as a, if anyone doesn't know, is the money paid to the parent by its subsidiaries. Kind of think about it a bit like dividends. Um, they were up 3% to £825 million pounds, uh, from £798 million pounds in the first half of 2022. And then total shareholder capital returns were 876 million pounds comprising a 576 million pound final dividend for 2022 and a 300 million pound share buyback and then we also heard that uh, an 11.1 pence per share interim dividend has been declared which is up eight percent on the prior year interim dividend of 10.3 pence so that's what we're getting paid later this year. And then we're going to have a little breakdown into the sort of three segments that they they categorize the business as or break the business into. So the first is insurance, wealth and retirement. Second is and when it says here insurance here is more specialist insurance things like life insurance health insurance, etc. And then they have separately, and this is distinct from general insurance or property and casualty, which is uh, the UK and Ireland, which it, they break down further into UK and Ireland and Canada, the two main markets. Um, so yeah, let's have a look at the insurance, wealth and retirement uh, segment. So the value of new business, VMB, increased 7% to £319 million compared to £297 million in the first half of 2022. Operating profit fell 13% to £426 million compared to first half of 2022 of £500 million. And this is this comes as uh, lower contributions from the wealth business outweighed higher contributions from annuity and equity release and health and protection. And apparently from their earnings call, uh, they said that the drop in the operating profit from the wealth business um, was predominantly due to investments they've been making in the business. So 
not overly uh, negative. And and the thing with, I mean, the, I think the wealth, I think the wealth business has something like four point two, four point three billion pounds in net flow, so it still is bringing in new money, but um, it is down from last year, and. The other aspect here is that obviously on a net profit basis from the wealth business, um, it will be considerably lower. Maybe, maybe not the wealth business, but certainly uh, it's been a difficult time overall for um, anything to do with asset management, really, because of the the movements in the market. And, uh, and that's obviously going to flow through to the net profit. All of it being um, temporary, like they're not actually cash losses per se, but um, it does those kind of market movements do do affect the net profit. But actually, I think the net profit for the period, I think a lot of that came in, in the previous year. Um, and I think the net profit was positive. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Whereas last year it had been negative. So, um, so yeah, it was... Yeah, things seem to have flown through or flowed through on that front as well. Uh, but yeah, and then the annuity and equity release um, has benefited because of the increased interest rates, which has driven a new business in um, and given them better, uh, made it more profitable. Uh, they can this increase their their interest margin between what their or how well the annuities can be covered uh, by the assets they they buy to to cover them um and i mean that's something similar for other aspects of business but health uh, we know has has taken a has seen a rise as well unfortunately because of the uh NHS not doing not the National Health Service here in the UK not not doing so well recently since the pandemic it wasn't doing great before then but waiting lists have reached sort of pretty crazy levels and so if you want to get any kind of fairly routine procedure done um, a lot of people have to to go private and so health insurance has seen quite a bit of demand and I think. Uh, health is only a very small part of their business relatively and they are a third player in the industry but significantly behind AXA and Beeper I think are the other the first and second players in the UK um, but I think they saw something like 57% growth uh, in the first half so pretty pretty crazy growth but yeah like I say so it's still only a, a pretty small part of the business but obviously now a source of a source of growth and finally for insurance wealth and retirement we have the cash remittances which were 714 million pounds up from 706 million pounds in the first half of 2022 so as just to remind you of what the overall figure was for the group level of 825 you can see that a large part of this comes from the insurance wealth and retirement um, the vast majority in fact so but as you'll see on the operating profit level 
Um, they haven't. Uh, let me just think. Yeah, on the operating profit level, four hundred twenty-six compared to the overall open product profit of seven hundred fifteen. Um, still more than half, but it's nowhere near as large as the cash remittances that were paid out. So it's a bit more balanced between the segments on an operating profit level, as you'll see. So the UK and Ireland general insurance um, operating profit grew 41% to £230 million. So yeah, another another big chunk. And this... Uh, Yeah, and so up 41%. So yeah, big growth seen in the general insurance segment for the UK and Ireland from £163 million a year. And this is largely as the business benefited from improved investment income. So yeah, it's... um getting much better returns on the assets that it's using to cover the, the liabilities but um of the the revenue that they've brought in so the the margins have decreased somewhat uh, due to the inflationary pressures and sort of increased claims frequency from the previous year so this is seen in the core figure the combined operating ratio which worsens slightly to 96.3 percent so still below 100s are still still profitable um and the previous year it had been 95.3 percent uh but yeah this should as they're taking they're taking some mitigating actions things like i believe something like across the industry also insurance premiums are expected to go up something like 20 percent um this year so i expect a lot of that's going to flow through in the second half and that will obviously then cover uh, some of the inflationary costs of repairing vehicles or uh covering the paying out the claims um yeah and then yeah so we should hopefully see the the core ratio come back down again and their overall target for the the overall general insurance business also including Canada is to have it below 94% for the whole group and I think it's like 94.3% average for the for the whole group at the moment I can't remember I haven't got that written down um yeah so a couple more points on the UK and Ireland general insurance gross written premiums Increased thirteen percent to three billion two hundred nineteen million from two billion eight hundred forty million in the previous year, with strong growth in both personal and commercial lines. Uh, so yeah, in in both the direct to consumer and uh, well, not direct to consumer, both the personal in insurance and business insurance effectively were both both saw strong growth. And then finally, the cash remittances were 61 million up from 59 million the previous year. Yeah, much, much smaller than the cash remittances paid by the insurance wealth and retirement segment. And uh, yeah, I need to dig a little bit more into this um, 
and I will do when I'm I'm currently reading through and doing another going to be doing another bigger update on the company. Definitely want to dig in and try and understand a bit why there is such a disconnect between the the operating profit being fairly balanced between the chairman and short. As you'll see when we add together the totals from Canada and the UK and Ireland, they're pretty comparable. In fact, they even exceed in total the insurance wealth and retirement, but the cash remittances paid are significantly less. So I'm, I'm guessing part of that is keeping, and I expect this, I'm probably answering the question, this is my, my assumption is that they're actually retaining that within the subsidiary and reinvesting it um, into new growth because they're definitely trying to grow the general insurance businesses i think because it's quite capital light um which is something they're they're trying to okay, and something i didn't quite realize actually is um they did a i haven't got a slide up here but in their earnings call they actually in the slides they presented they actually showed that it was something like close to 60 percent of the business is actually capital light um so some of that is in the wealth business and some of that's in uh, and the rest of that's in the general insurance business. And this is contributions to, I guess, operating profit. I can't remember the exact figure they were using to break it down. But yeah, it was something like 60% came from capital light sources. And the other sort of 40% came from the, the capital intensive sources were basically the annuity business. That seems to be both the personal and uh, bulk annuity businesses are quite... Uh, require a lot more capital um which is still obviously profitable and they're really trying to to build the um and capture a lot of the opportunities that are in the bulk purchase annuity space bpa space right now and with all these now the interest rates have reached um positive territory and a lot of these corporate pension schemes are now in surplus rather than deficit they're they're using this opportunity to to de-risk their balance sheets and they basically pass off these pass off the scheme assets to to large in life insurers like Aviva and um other ones like Legal and General and so on. So Aviva is trying to, is now trying to capture that, but the uh the point being that it's requires a lot more capital and so there are limitations on how much they can invest in and how much it can grow. Um, the rate of growth compared to general insurance where they don't need to put as much capital into it um, to, to get the same the same kind of return. And, and generally, I think capital light businesses are, are more favorable just because of the higher returns on equity, et cetera, that are, that are possible from it. Um, yeah, the, just the, the less amount of shareholder capital has to be tied up. So that's the UK and Ireland general insurance. Let's just quickly look at the Canada general insurance. So operating profit increased 19%, so not quite as much as the UK and Ireland of increase of 41%, but I'm guessing that was a bit more to do with a negative um, negative environment the previous year uh, for comparison more than it being exceptional this year 
and this said they increased 19% in Canada to 240 million. So this is pretty comparable to the to the UK visit of 230 million. And uh, in the first half of the previous year, it was 201 million. So, yeah, and as and this is also because of the the, the business benefiting from higher yields on on assets. So, as with the UK and Ireland general insurance business, the core worsens slightly, but still remains very strong at ninety two point eight percent versus ninety one point eight percent the prior year. So, yeah, pretty pretty phenomenal figures for the Canada business there. Even after the slight slight increase in the core, um, yeah, and I don't know what I mentioned, but yeah, you basically want it to be anything below as a hundred percent means that. So core is effectively telling you the percentage of um, revenues, I guess, that or the percentage of the of the premiums taken that's getting paid out in in claims or expenses. So you want it to be less than 100% in order to be profitable. And obviously, the lower, the more profitable it is. So it's consistently remaining below 100% in, in across the whole business. And uh, Canada is, is particularly, particularly strong with 92.8% and 91.8% prior year. Um, yeah, and gross rate in premiums. Increased eleven percent uh, versus thirteen percent for the UK and Ireland, and the, yeah, they increased eleven percent to two billion and fifty-five million versus one billion eight hundred and fifty-four million, with similarly strong growth across personal and commercial lines. So yeah, you can see because of that increased. Uh, core ratio there they are getting a similar operating profit from a around about two-thirds of the gross rate and premiums so yeah it's um that's a real testament to that to the profitability of the canada business but again cash remittances well cash remittances grew significantly but from a pretty low base um so they grew to 36 million from 14 million the previous year. And yeah, and those, again, just like the UK and Ireland German insurance business, quite a lot lower than the insurance wealth and retirement. Uh, you know, factor of 10 or more than 10 lower, factor of 20 basically for um, Canada. And this, I, I'm guessing, I, I believe, and I'll. I'll verify is because they're keeping the profits the, the cash generated within the business to to reinvest and try and grow their general insurance business overall. So yeah, that wraps up Aviva, their interim results. I've included a link to go and have a look if you want. They also have a recording of the earnings call, which is worth a worth a watch. Um, some good questions asked in there, some good clarifications and so on. Um, but yeah, let's now move on to have a look at a couple of updates from TinyBuild. The 
the updates are largely we've got a, we've got a couple of new launches, new game launches in the week, which are Black Skylands and Hello Engineer. And then I just had a little a little update on Graveyard Keeper, which is not a new game. It's been around for celebrated its fifth anniversary uh, last week. And I just wanted to give you some stats on how it sold in that week when they put it on sale. They, they, they gave it with an 80% discount. So pretty, pretty incredible to see how well that game still does. Anyway, let's start with Black Skylands. So we saw Black Skylands leave early access with its version 1.0 launch across PC, Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch on Tuesday, the 15th of August. Um, from the Steam stats, it certainly seems to have done well, appearing in both the popular and hot release lists for three to four days following launch and achieving a new peak player count of 1,123 at time of writing. I think it, yeah, and, it, and which as I said, looks set to be beaten over the weekend, and I, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, follower numbers have seen decent growth with two, oh, it was 26,324 before release and 28,564 at the time of writing. The game also featured in the top 100 best selling games on Steam for several days, and the day after release, it was in 87th place. Well, that's that's what I saw anyway. It might have, might have been higher at one point, I don't know, but that was the highest I saw it at. But still very good. So one slight negative is it appears some of the people who played the early access version of the game weren't happy with the version 1.0 changes, uh, which pulled the recent review score down a little. Um, and I said I expect this will smooth out over time as new players add their voices to the mix. But yeah, it, I think from what I understand, the it wasn't just a small change. They basically changed the entire did an entirely new story entirely new narrative for the the game in its version 1.0 launch so it's quite different in terms of the story and narrative to the original tool to the early access version um so yeah obviously some people preferred the what what they get the, the state of the game in you know, well the way the game played the mechanics of the game in early access to the version 1.0 but yeah like i say once these few people that are a little disgruntled um get drowned out by the new players that are obviously enjoying the game uh, from the their kind of their reviews that we that i've seen i expect the uh the average will smooth out and it'll head back towards the sort of figures that it was on before, which I think was something like 86%. Um, maybe I'll misremember that, but it was certainly over 80, where it has been more or less sort of in the last 30 days, it's been in the 70s because of the uh, some of the negatives from people, but still overwhelmingly, uh, overwhelmingly positive. Or, well, that's in Steam terms, it was, it would, I guess it'd be very positive, but. Certainly more positive than, than negative. And then I also just finally said here that things are looking promising for the game's success on other platforms as it seems to have caught the attention of console-focused influencers. The channel linked in the video below already have a review in the works. So yeah, I've 
got a little video from a channel called Switch Up. They're a pretty big channel. Some of their some of their game reviews um, have done sort of half a million plus uh, views on on YouTube. So pretty big channel. Uh, typically, it's it's in the tens of thousands though. Uh, I know an average video like I think this one did something like forty thousand or something. It's sort of weekly best new Nintendo Switch games. Uh, but yeah, they're very much focused on Nintendo Switch, this channel, as you could guess by the, the name Switch Up. Um, but yeah, they've they included the game in their list of new Nintendo Switch games coming out, and I'm sure there are other channels that have done the similarly included, and I know from the comments that uh, underneath the video that they've got a new they're doing they've they've done a review so I presume they got given a a review code they've done a review and they'll be launching that this week so that might be something to have a look out for and I'll um I might have a look at, at including it in the next week's or as I'm recording this on Monday the end of this week this week's uh weekly newsletter just as an update um yeah and then like i say we had also had the launch of hello engineer so hello engineer got off to a fairly slow start on steam after its launch on thursday the 17th of august which isn't surprising considering the game was way back in the wishlist rankings prior to launch i think it was over a thousand uh, as in the place greater than one thousandth place in the list and its peak Player count since release uh, was just 96 at the time of writing, and I think it still remains 96. Um, and it currently has 2,656 followers and 49 reviews. But 49 of these 49 reviews, 83.67% were positive, so it's been well received by those that have played it, and there's been no mention. That I've seen of any bugs or performance issues. It's not quite had the opening uh, success of some of the other games we've seen launched recently from Tiny Build. Perhaps the game concept wasn't quite um, what people were after. Certainly seems to be a, a technically good game. You know they've they've released it and there doesn't seem to be any bugs, any issues. Seems to be quite performant um, from what I've seen, but just hasn't really generated much hype or sort of traction so far. Um, but yeah, the, as I've said here, the publishing team have been taking steps to try and boost interest, including the application of a 35% introductory offer. And the game was already pretty reasonably priced at something like 14, 15 quid, and 35% off takes it below 10 quid, opening. Uh, introductory offer price and this is valid for a week until the 24th of august so we'll have to wait to see if this helps give it some momentum in the coming weeks uh so far not really um because like i say that peak account hasn't been bested but yeah something i that's worth mentioning is that the game simultaneously released across consoles as you'd expect for a a game within the Hello Neighbor franchise. Um, 
And as we know, the Hello Neighbor games have a much greater following and player base on consoles than they do on PC. I think Hello Neighbor only has something like seven to 8,000 uh, reviews on Steam. But we know that it has some, it sold like something crazy like 70 million copies across all platforms. So, yeah, it's a bit of a disconnect. It's certainly, it seems certainly more of a game on consoles than on PC. So, it may be that there's been a lot more sales and many more players of Hello Engineer on, on consoles than there have been on PC. So, we'll have to wait to see if management disclosed anything there we don't really have any other than maybe reviews on the xbox store but i don't think many people put reviews on there um other than that we don't really have any way to any stats to gauge how many people are playing it on the consoles so we'll just have to wait to see if management comes out with any statement there on how the game's been doing but one's you know thing to Think about here is that I'm pretty sure I don't know what the budget was, but it certainly seems to have been quite a bit higher budget than uh, some of the other games that we've seen launch, like uh, Black Skylines, for instance, or Punch Club Two. I, I would expect Hell Engineer had a higher budget than that, just just from the the look of the game. Um, but so yeah, and the price tag and what have you. I, I might be getting it wrong with them. Um, but yeah, it certainly seems to have a seem to have a higher budget visually seem to compared to some of the other games. So it is a bit of a shame that it hasn't sold as well because presumably there's a higher threshold for it to cross before you get into profit. But like I say, hopefully that's because it's done well, uh, done better on consoles than it has on PC, and they'll cover it. Yeah, moving on to some some good news. Um, something else I wanted to highlight is the enduring power of Graveyard Keeper. This week, the game celebrated its fifth anniversary with an eighty percent discount that put it back into the tw- top twenty best-selling games list on Steam, as well as the trending list, where it has remained with a daily peak concurrent player count above six k. I'm pretty sure it's still in the um trending list and it's gone over 7k now the uh peak daily player account i think it, on sunday night it just seems to be continuing to rise um i'm sure it will it will trend back down as it has done previously but you look at the overall uh chart of um player accounts and you can just see I guess coinciding with new updates, with uh, sales and what have you, you do get. They have had continued peaks, new peaks, in 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 all the years since launch. And uh, I captured it when it was in. I captured the screenshot of it when it was in nineteenth place in the top selling games list. So, I mean, it did similarly well to i'm future that's just launched for instance and punch club 2 both i think got into the maybe i can't remember punch club 2 but certainly i'm future got to something like 19th place as well so 
it's already it's still doing similar performance as some of the big games that are the the more successful games that are coming out have been released now and it's still doing that in you know, five years after its original release and granted selling it at an 80 percent discount which is like three pound 50 or something for the for the game cost but that's when even when you take off a few 30 percent whatever it's all profit at this point um so because they've well and truly paid for the development expenses at this point so yeah very very positive and and we actually got a little we got a tweet from Alex Nishi Porshik, CEO of Tiny Build, um, telling us that every year since Graveyard Keepers launch, it sold more than the previous one. So, yeah, it's just a game that has been growing in success year after year, and still, and just a really showing you the the power of the the back catalog and that it's you know with the the really successful games the ones like this that can be played pretty much infinitely there's not any yeah there's this it's infinitely replayable people can play it people do play it for thousands of hours um with these kind of games there isn't the same kind of decay in their sales that you see with with the the average game so yeah this is why the company is trying to really pivot its focus and move its focus towards games that really can be played for very long periods of time and don't really see the drop off in sales because it it means you end up with a a diverse and performant back catalog that can sustain ongoing revenues for for many years and we're talking you know graveyard keeper might still be might still be doing these kind of numbers at its 10th anniversary for instance no reason why not really it's still doing well this fifth considering the average game pretty much drops off within within the first six months to a year and on that note, we actually had another article from Alex released last week entitled Chasing the Thousand Hour Game. And in this article, he describes strategies that TinyBot is pursuing to create games that can be played for more than 1,000 hours without a triple A budget. I've got the article open here. Um, so it's quite an interesting one. It's talking about two, it breaks into, you can effectively divide the article into two halves. One is talking initially about multiplayer and how the various things like various tactics you can use to make an, a multiplayer game sort of infinitely replayable um, without having to do what the, a lot of the AAA games do, which is have the development teams grind and put out, you know, have hundreds of developers working on it and putting out more and more content to to keep people coming back to the game and engaged, like you kind of see with World of Warcraft, for instance, and some of the other big Blizzard games. And something he mentions here that's quite interesting is the 
the the trap of having a leveling system and how that ends up naturally limiting your game so one of the key key points to to do is to not have a not really define a win criteria for the players that you know, they reach in the higher levels whatever not having progress defined by by the, the the game developers instead it should be flexible and the user can choose their own goals their own definition of winning craft the game so you can give them missions to do and so on um and he talks about and a lot of this relates i think quite well to dead side which is a game i've played from from them having missions that the same mission can be replayed in multiple different difficulties and having lots of random components to it so it just adds a lot more replayability to that's effectively the same content without them having to do a lot of work on adding new yeah new new content each time the the game is played you're just putting in slightly more dip challenging enemies in there uh, with the different levels and better loot at the end or what what have you and the kind of the flexible and he talks also about having creating games where you could a new player that is skilled um at the game for instance someone who's let's say you're talking about first person shooter game they've played a lot of first person shooters and they're naturally quite good at it they can come in and they can if they can get hold of a decent gun which is not limited by having to unlock at a certain level um if instead it's just something that they need to either save up to buy or they can kill someone else get the gun off them or complete a mission a more difficult mission and get a get a really good gun is something that realistically they can go from zero to hero that's a, a key component of the game so people don't arrive at the game in the game and find that they're being overwhelmed by people that are not necessarily more skilled but they've just put hundreds or thousands of hours into the game and then just become indomitable as a result they should obviously be people should feel progress and rewards from from having invested time in the game and this comes for in the form of you know they understand how to use the weapons best or they know the best areas of the map to go to and all that kind of that kind of stuff but it should technically be possible for new players to figure out a way to to beat the best players in the game still whether that's through you know patience and camping out or something like that hiding in a bush waiting for them to come out of gone or whatever should be a way for them to still beat them they shouldn't they should be a level playing field really and it just comes down to the skill of the players and uh yeah and as, as and there needs to be a way for the the new players to get the best gear relatively quickly if they're skillful enough um yeah and there's loads of other loads of other good stuff in the article here as well gives lots of examples of how to multiply content um, and talking about sort of systems versus content and how adding a new system, if you've got 10 different systems in the game, you add another one that could actually double the amount of um, time that users can spend with it because you've just added that new dynamic has a multiplicative effect. Um, but if you just have, you know, content in the form of like cutscenes, whatever kind of stuff, and you add another hour, you add a, another hour to it, <laughs> or 
another bit of content all you've done is add 10 percent. so you're you just have to keep putting in more and more effort to do it and this is what you see with with some of these triple a games and so on yeah and then i as i mentioned random random number generators and so on uh yeah but yeah overall really good. and he also then talks about how you can apply a lot of these same kind of principles uh to single player games and how uh, one of the big areas that's had this, re- uh, this replayability and um longevity is is in the cozy sort of game category which is what something like graveyard keep would fall into or iron future potion craft whatever the games that can be played um for long long times without um without losing yeah without the player losing interest and without the player running out of things to do you know they can just keep on going yeah so yeah i recommend giving that a read and a very another very interesting one following on from the previous week i think previous week or maybe the week before um article where they broke down the, the success of the successful launch strategy they employed for punch club 2 uh compared to the original which also had a, a very unique marketing strategy so yeah i recommend give both those a read very both very interesting but yeah i think that is all so i will see you all the next week for the next update all right